I can remember one of my family vacations that I took as a kid. We did a lot of local traveling, so we weren't really big on going very far, but I guess it had to do with me getting sick on a trip to, I think, Yellowstone one time. My parents were like, never again. But I can remember, uh, I must have been 10 at the time. We decided we were going to go to Northern California, visit Northern California, and see some relatives, you know, uh, see San Francisco. My parents were like, and definitely Napa. And like they kept saying that, and definitely Napa, right? Yeah, yeah, Napa. <laughs> but, they, we, but San Francisco was my highlight. I, I couldn't wait to see it. Um, you, you learn about in school about California and the Golden Gate Bridge and, and what it meant. And I heard from my grandfather, he would talk about when he was in the Navy and just how amazing it was to come back home and to see that bridge. Um, and so I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the town. And I was very disappointed. <laughs> it ended up being one of the worst trips I've ever had. Uh, just from memory-wise, uh, I saw things that I probably shouldn't have saw. Uh, and now, let me, let me tell you something. It, it, really, there's no difference between, like, San Francisco and L.A., right? And, and I'm used to L.A. Maybe that's just because that's my home, and I've seen that, that stuff. But San Francisco was different. And long story, I don't really want to... <laughs> basically, like, right in front of me as a kid, we're, we're walking the streets... And so you can imagine how traumatizing this is, right? I'm walking the streets, and a pelican is right in front of me, like on the crosswalk. Pelicans are huge birds, right? Like they're not like a small little bird. I saw a car just smack, like right in front of me. Like I was traumatized. I wanted to go home. You know, luckily my sister didn't see it, but I saw the whole thing. And again, it wasn't like a small little bird. It's, it's pretty bad. So we get into the car, and we're like, we're, we're, we're taking off. We're, we're, we're leaving this town. I don't even think we're going to go across the bridge. We're, we're done. And we're driving, and my dad, he turns down this road, and it's a nice road. We're like, wow, this is, Man, there's shops, there's buildings, it's very clean, it's very nice. And we're like, oh, okay, so, so maybe we're, we're in the San Francisco that we always wanted to see. And we're driving, and I start, like, noticing, yeah, why, why are these people looking at us? Like, why are these people, like, looking at me? And then, and then you know, then there's, at this point, there's a person kind of, you know, giving us the... The, the, the one-hander, and, uh, and I knew what that was, but I'm like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I hear my dad go, huh, there's no cars on this street. And then people are yelling at us. And, like, and then all of a sudden I hear my mom go, Dale! You know, and like she did the thing where she grabbed him because my dad's name's Dale. And then just the amount of expletives that came out of my dad's mouth, he all of a sudden started juring the car because what was coming down at us was like a train. Like we were on a street that's only designated for trains. It was no cars, no nothing. And I, okay, in my head from what I remember, it was like the train's coming and the car barely missed. I'm sure it wasn't that close, 
but the train was coming and my dad had to swerve out of the way. And I can remember we stopped and my dad was just saying, uh, you know, we turn around. Now we see signs that say, yeah, do not drive on this street. He's like, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. None of us saw it. And like, I remember him parking and just like, <sighs> like had to hold his, you know, get his breath back. And again, he just kept repeating, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. We were so focused on getting out of that city, we didn't see the danger that we were in. Of course, now we laugh about it, but at the time, my dad was like, we're not talking about this for the rest of the trip. (laughs) He didn't see things clearly. And I think that's where we are. We've been in this series of Hosea and this story about this prophet who has, you know, taken upon him just a a prostitute to marry and to be faithful to, knowing that she was not going to be faithful to him, he was going to be faithful to her. And it's, it's, when you base it, when when you really read it, and it's a lot of you know, obviously it's about God, what he's doing with the people of Israel, but it's a love letter. It's a love letter from God to us. Here, let me read the, the end. And again, it's when it gets to the point where, okay, we're not really, it's not a, strictly about a man marrying um, a prostitute. And it's God's love for Israel. So Hosea 11 says this, that when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the balls, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. And to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. I, I want to read that again because I want you to get that image in your head. If, if, you, if you've had parents or grandparents that have done that to you, or if you have kids yourself, you know what this is about when it says that to them I was like one who lifts a little child's cheek, and I bent down to feed them. He got down at their level. He held and caressed that little faith because he knew who we are. I just I love that word, that, that, that vision that God has for his people and what he's talking about there. This book, there's something that God wants us to get about him. There is something that God wants us to understand, like an attribute that many probably didn't think up until this time, and maybe some of us here don't really consider much about God. But there is something there that God says, you, you, I need you to understand this about me. I need you to get who I am in relation to you. And I think one of the, the, the points is this is that focusing on God helps to see the world differently. Focus on me. You will see things differently. 
Here's an example. And it's found in Genesis with <clears throat> Jacob, the heel catcher. Jacob, he grew up pretty much being a con artist, right? He, he had this feeling. He was a twin, and he had this, this, this innate thing in him that he felt like he was almost like destined for glorious purpose. I know I got that from a movie. But, but that's what it was. There was something that Jacob felt that was just bigger than him. But he just he couldn't see past that his older brother was going to get everything. And that if he didn't get that, then he's nothing. And so he would, he, would, he would scheme, he would plot, he would trick, he would do these things. That's kind of the identity that he took to get what he wanted. He would trick his brother for, for his birthright. You know, he'd set scenarios up knowing that he could take advantage of the situation. He would take control. And then when it came down to it, the ultimate betrayal, the ultimate thing that he does, he betrays not only his brother, he, he, him and his mom, they, they do this elaborate scheme to trick their father to give him the blessing, to give him all the firstborn son rights to everything, the money, the blessing, everything. And of course, it's like when you do that, there's going to be consequences, and the consequences, well, the brother says, well, now I'm going to kill you. You have taken everything from me. I'm going to kill you. And so instead of Jacob enjoying this moment and being who he thinks he's going to be, he now has to flee with, with nothing. He goes from, I'm going to get everything, to I've got nothing. And so this is where we are here. In Genesis 28, verse 10 says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put under his head to lay down to sleep. And again, look at the word, look, look at the picture that this is painting. All right, I, I almost like how like there's a specific point where it says like the sun is setting, almost as like he's giving up on life. His life is over, he's done, he's got nothing left. And so he goes to this point where all he can have is he has to find a rock to use as a pillow to sleep. He's done. And then he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on all earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob was on his own. All he had was a rock for a pillow, and now he hears the God of the universe saying, I will watch over you wherever you go. Amazing. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. 
he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Then skipping down, so then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, the, so then I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up is a pillar will be God's house, and all of you given me, I will give you a tenth. He was done, and he has this moment with God that changed everything. It changed the way he saw the world. He sees that he sees this, this, this stairway, this beautiful stairway from heaven and to earth and these angels and going up and down, this connection between heaven and earth. See, the, the thing is, like, we think of heaven as some, like, distant place that we have to attain to, but God's saying, no, there's a connection here. There's a connection to the earth that I created and the heaven, and this is it, this beautiful stairway. Someone should write a song about that. It's so beautiful. <laughs> but do you get it? He started to focus on God, and he saw his world differently. He says, how awesome is this place? He probably thought he wasn't going to get up after he put that rock as a pillow. Like, I'm done. I might as well just stay here forever and die. But now it's how awesome is this place? How awesome. Heaven touching earth. God wanted connection with his creation. Think about it in the garden. It was about God with his creation. He created Adam and Eve, and he just wanted to walk with his creation. He wanted to be connected with them. And then, yes, sin got in the way. Sin kind of you know, bogged things down, but God said that that's not going to stop me. And then when he meets with Moses on the mountain and he, and he goes over these things and he tells him, look, this is what you need to do to build something for me so that I can be amongst my people, build this tabernacle, build exactly these specifications so that my people will know that I am here with them, that I am connected to them, that I'm not just some far off God, but I am here with them. David will go on in the Psalms, and he will talk about the omnipresent God, that no matter where he goes, God is always there, that he cannot hide from God. He is everywhere. And then Jesus will spend his, his life, his very short life in comparison, just connecting with people where they are at, not waiting for them to change for him to come to him. He wanted to connect them, and then ultimately he was that connection for God, for everybody. Because then in Revelation 21, then it says, now God is once again with his people, connecting it all the way to the beginning. It was all about connection. It was all about God going to his people. Heaven touching earth. And that's what God says, I need you to get in Hosea. I need you to get that. Seeing God clearly is not just that he's the present God, 
right? That he's just not here. Yes, he is the present God. Yes, he's in our midst. And yes, he is in our lives. But I need you to understand that he's not just the present God, but he's also the pursuing God. He comes after us. He comes after us. And the question that I have for you, church, the question that I ask myself at times is, do I want to be found? Do I want to be found by this pursuing God? See, Jacob learned that God was going to provide for him. That He was in the worst possible situation, but he learned that in that moment that that God's going to take care of him because he's being pursued by him. The very thing that, that Jacob thought that he had lost, he was given back. More on that later, but Jacob learned that God was going to provide for him. Why? Because God pursued him. God pursued him. And that's number two. When we focus on God, we see his abundance. We see it. Jacob went from nothing to how awesome is this place? I see everything now. My whole, everything has changed. How awesome in this place. There's so much for me. And yes, in that moment, he wasn't given a house or a car or any of that, or even a pillow, a real pillow. He wasn't given those things. But he just knew that what God had for him was going to be in abundance. So when we focus on God, we see his abundance. We have to stay awake on what God is doing in our lives. Look, I don't know what happened. But, well, one of my, my biggest things that I love is, a lot of you know this, I love movies. I love collecting movies. I love seeing movies. I have a bunch of movies. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it started like 12 years ago. But all of a sudden... I put a movie on, I fall asleep. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, when, when, did, when did that become a part of my life? Like, I used to be like, it's one in the morning, let's put a new movie on. I could stay up all night. That probably happened when I started having kids. I don't know. But even last night, I'm trying to watch a movie, and Jenny's like, let's just go to bed, honey. I'm like, no, let's watch it. <laughs> or she'll like, you know, it's that, that moment where you're, you're, you're kind of asleep and, 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 you know, and she puts her hand on my arm like to like gently wake me up, but it's still like, ah, like I'm, I'm not asleep, I'm not asleep, I'm watching the movie, I'm watching the movie. <sighs> I did not think that I was, it would take like three nights to watch one movie like, in my life. I, when did that happen? Jiminy Christmas. Anyways. But sleeping on movies, it's a bummer. It's a real bummer. But sleeping on God can be devastating. It can be devastating to us if we are not aware of what he's doing in our lives. If we're not aware that he has this abundance for us, but we're focused on this very little that we don't have. Because we're sleeping on him. And I get it. There are things. Look, that's what sin does. But there are things in this world that will take our focus off of God. Very simple, common things. Right? Like we think of like, oh, like the things that are going to take us off of God are going to be these giant things. No, it's, it's usually simple things. Here are four right here. It says, 
how we can sleep on God is basically existence. Like we could, we could think and we can try to rationalize our existence and leave God totally out of it. We can look at science and do all these things, and I'm not saying nothing against science. I do believe in science, but I believe in God that created science. But we can, we can make excuses for our own existence. We can make excuses for things that are just coincidences. And we can totally miss out on what God's doing in our lives. The thing is, if once, we, once we get that everything out in this world God created, then we see him better. We see him better. The second thing is religion. Religion, believe it or not, can help us sleep on God. Religion can bog us down so much that that's all we kind of see and do, and we don't see the God that truly is outside of religion. He's his own thing. We say things like, I was thinking about this this week, like, like uh, <clears throat> and I know I've had people tell me this in my life, well-meaning people, that will say, you know, God, God can't be around sin, so you better get right with God so that God can be around you. And I get the logic in that, but it's just not true. It's like we treat this idea that like sin is like this kryptonite for God. Like the minute sin enters, God's like, I'm out. I can't. I just can't. Like it's almost like it's a weakness for him. But, look at, but let's look at the Bible. Let's just look at the book of Hosea and what God is trying to tell us. That there's just nowhere where God says that. The, the Bible does say that, yes, yeah, sin flees from God. Sin can't be around a holy God. And again, I understand the logic. It, it does kind of make sense. But nothing in the Bible tells me that God's afraid of your sin. Because he pursues us. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they hid. He found them in their sin. Jesus ate with sinners all the time. He didn't run away from them. Jacob just got done from swindling his own father. And God came to him. Romans 5.8, while yet we were still sinners, God came to us. He pursues us. Yes, he does not want us to stay in sin. Absolutely. No, he does not. But it doesn't stop him from connecting with us. Nothing we do will ever stop God from connecting with us to want him, for him for his want to be with his creation. The other thing, trials of life. The trials of life can help us to not see God. And again, this is another one of those things where, look, I get, I, 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 there's, there's, there's horrible things that can happen to us, and we can wonder, where is God? Where is God? And the, the truth is, in all pain, in all pain that we, that we face, and everyone will have pain, it's a part of life. There's a choice there. That pain can either drive us away from God or it can drive us to God. 
And I've seen, I've seen that happen in, in my own life. I've seen that happen with people that I, I love, that it, it, it just comes to that choice. And to not sleep on God, you just have to choose to not let your pain drive you away. Like there's no easy answer in that. It's a choice. Use, let your pain drive you to God. You have to let it. That's why I love that how when Jacob, <clears throat> he took that pillow, that pillow stone, and what did he do? He made it into a pillar. He anointed that stone because he said, look, that was my pain. But now it's, 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 a, it's a thing to show how God's faithful. And he left it there. He used his pain to drive him closer to God. And then the other thing, and again, another thing that I get is hearing God's voice. How many of you ever just wanted to be like, God, why can't you just like speak to me audibly? Why can't you just tell me what to do and I'll do it? I don't know. For some people he does, some people he doesn't. I am convinced though, because God uniquely made you, God uniquely created you, there is a unique way that he's going to speak to you. He knows the best way that you're going to receive things. And he probably knows that if all of a sudden I hear a voice, I'm, I'm running. I'm running. Like, there might be people that they hear God's voice, and the first thing they think of is like, oh, it's the devil. And he's probably like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to freak you out like that. This is, that's just probably how they're wired. There's a unique way God's going to speak to you. And we have to train ourselves to hear that voice. We have to pray daily, God, teach me how to hear your voice. Teach, show me. It's not an easy thing, and, and, but there are so many times people will just give up and not want to pursue that. Pursue his voice daily. Look, I get it. There are times I wish I can get that voice and I get frustrated, but it doesn't stop me every day asking, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Because there are some times where I look back and it's like, oh, God was totally speaking to me. I just wasn't aware of it. He's never stopped speaking. The God of creation, of the universe, pursues you. Does that make you feel special? Like really, like really think that, and again, it's not like I'm pursuing you. It's like I'm, I'm coming to you. Like I'm, I'm chasing after you because I love you. Pursues you. And that is good news. That is such good news because here's the deal. Let me give you a little secret into the Jones household. I'm afraid to admit this, but I'll admit it. That if it was just me, not my wife, I don't know if my kids would get gifts for Christmas or birthdays. <laughs> and I'm not, not because I don't want to give them gifts. It's just because it's like I forget or at the last minute I'm trying to get stuff and then everything's sold out and then I'm like, bummer. But my wife is really good by like October. We're getting them gifts, preparing. And she does all that work. The birthday she takes care of. Look, there's everything inside of me that wants to give good gifts to my kids. It's not because, now it is probably because I'm lazy, but it's, 
I want to give my kids gifts. I want to be proactive in that. But then sometimes it just happens. And it's the same thing with God. It's good news that he pursues us because I don't know if we would pursue God on our own. We'd have good intentions. We'd have like, oh, yeah, I would love to go to church. I would love to, to get to know God more. But, but would you really do it? Would outside circumstances kind of like stop you from doing that? And again, good intentions, but I don't know. If God was a thing that we had to go to, I don't know if I could do it. But it's good news that the God of the universe pursues us. Number three, and the truth is, I mean, we couldn't do it on our own anyways, because sin does bog us down. It does bog us down. It does hold us into a place that stops us from that pursuit, if we let it. Number three, God's grace surpasses our weakness, surpasses it. That's why I said God doesn't run from our sin. He wants to surpass it with his grace, our weakness. See, God saw Jacob's faithfulness in the midst of his failure. When Jacob was failing, when he could not bend any leader or anything to God, God saw the faithfulness. That grace surpassed Jacob's weakness. God will give you strength when you need it. He'll give you hope. He will give you community. He will give you salvation. That's what he's coming at you with. Not judgment, not condemnation. No. Strength, hope, community, salvation. Yes, he will correct us. And yes, there are times that we have to accept that correction. But that's only because there's an abundant life for us that he wants us to have. Not just in heaven, but he wants it us here as well. And our response is, if we are aware of God's presence if we are aware of that abundance, then yes, it does demand surrender. And I get it. I, especially me, I, I, I hate that word, surrender. It, it's just, it's like it's against <clears throat> me. Playing a board game once, I should have just gave up, but I just kept going to the very bitter end. Awareness of God demands surrender. But the thing is, like I said, God created you. He made you. And if he wants our surrender, then he knows exactly what's best for us. And the surrender really isn't that big of a deal when he knows us as intimately as he does. See, Jacob, there was no more being Jacob after that moment. He surrendered his scheming, he surrendered how he thought to get ahead in life. He surrendered what he thought was going to be best for him. He was done. He surrendered it. He says, okay, God, you know what's best for me, and you're going to give me everything that I need. If I can have the band come on up. Like I said, God's not just pursuing you just so that you could give up and surrender your life, that you were not an accident. You were made with a purpose. 
And so when you surrender that, you are surrendering to that very idea that you matter to him. I get, guys, I get Hosea is a strange, strange book. <laughs> like it's, it doesn't make sense in my head, All right? But I, that, that song that we sang today, that reckless love, you know, like there are churches that ban that song, that they're like, like, we cannot play that song because in no way God is reckless. Like the God of the universe would never be reckless. <laughs> no, reckless, no, reckless is, is riding a skateboard down a roof or, or throwing a bowling ball down a busy street. That, that's reckless. But I get that. I get that. Because reckless does imply to us something bad. But man, oh man, think about it. Maybe it's because of what we do. Maybe it's because of our actions. Makes God reckless in that love. We caused that because for everything in Hosea, everything that, that, that has been brought up, the, the fact that like, look, you're going to continue to love when you have been betrayed over and over and over and over again. And by any stance, and even as a, as a dad with daughters, or in a son, that if their spouses do that in my head, if they continue to love, I would say, you are being reckless with that. Don't do it. But yet God says, no, you need to see that, yeah, I'm, I'm reckless when it comes to you. That I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep pursuing you day after day. That I choose you because you are worth it. You are worth it. But it's our job to see him. And it's our job to recognize that. So see God on how he sees you. See God for the abundance that he has for you. See God that will sit with you in your sin so that his grace can overflow you. See the God that pursues you yesterday, today, and tomorrow. See that God. Amen. Amen. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but you give yourself We're going to take communion and I also have the ushers come up. <clears throat> Before I take communion, I want to read this one thing. This is in John 1, 51. And Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, but you will see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's that same thing. See, now Jesus, Jacob saw it was the ladder, the stairway. And Jesus says, look, I am the ladder. I am the very thing that connects heaven and earth. I'm now, I am now the gate to heaven. And we get to do, I, I, I've been loving taking communion with you guys. It's this very beautiful thing, this connection that we can have with Jesus and with God. And it's this thing, and yes, we can make it religious. We can make it a thing that we, we eat our cracker, we drink our juice, and we leave. But, but church, I want you to, to really think that, yeah, we can do it, but, but we get to do it. We get, this is something special that we can have to connect with God, to connect with Jesus. And when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, I can't get my cracker out. Because I'm now the very gate, the very gate into heaven. I am that connection. And I'm giving up my body for you. So take the body of Christ right now and know that you get to do this. Again, he's now the gate and it was his blood that paved that way again he sent Jesus God pursued us he sent him we wouldn't have known otherwise and it was his blood that is now able for us to be with God so take his blood now So, Father in heaven, first off, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for its physical building, for the, for the blessings that you have given us, God. I want to just bless this offering. And just thank you for, for not just what we do for our people, but for what we do for this city, for this area, God, for, for places clear across uh, the uh, other side of the world, God. Thank you. Help us to be good stewards with your money, God. Thank you. And Father, Father, be with us all this week. Be with us all this week that we see the pursuing God, that you are coming for us, that, that we can't run from you, Lord, that you're going to be with us no matter what. Lord, thank you, God. Be with us at work. Be with us at home. Be with us with our families, with our friends. Thank you for your love. In your name, amen. All right, church, have a great week and see you next week. It's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, running after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming 
didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but you give yourself away. Oh.